come one, come all to the show where we give awards that have no prior existence to potentially people you've never even heard of. Welcome to Award Tour, the podcast. I am Brian Albin. He is Unqua Sonye. We are back for another week talking about the intersection of not just race and sports, but also sports and society. And I think this week we have a show for you that's going to be more on the society wavelength than it is on the race and sports wavelength. We're going to talk about the Dodgers World Series triumph and yet how indicative it was of 2020 that it ends with essentially the captain of the team and Justin Turner having to be pulled in the eighth inning after testing positive for coronavirus in the middle of the game. Uh, We're also going to talk to you about the argument of do ratings get affected by social stances in sports? And of course, we will have Tell Me Something I Don't Know in your weekly awards for you. But before we get into any of that this week, we got to check in. We got to see how we're doing. How you doing, Uncle? Uh, <laughs> isn't there like a song for this? All I can do is cry. Um, or Cry to keep from laughing. Whatever it is. My mind has been in so many different places. And yet, weirdly calm about being in so many different places. Like, I don't know. It feels like. Everyone's just waiting for November 3rd, like everybody. And that includes me because I would rather, I would rather cry or rather I would rather expect to cry and breathe a sigh of relief than expect that America is actually going to do the right thing. I have no faith that anything positive is going to happen next Tuesday and we'll see. I mean, I, I did my part. I made sure I was not going to be caught on any lines. Once New York said they were voting early, I said, just give me a time and place. And I pulled it off. I have also cast my ballot so far, but I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. I think the funny thing only is that for the past two years, I feel like I've been telling anyone who would listen we're going to have four more years of this. He's going to win. And like was the one trying to mentally prepare, not myself, but the people around me for, I think he's going to win again. It's not until the last month that I've started to allow myself to say, maybe not, maybe it's not going to happen. And I'm hating myself for that because if it does happen now, the fact that I let myself have any hope, it's going to just, it's going to hurt, but we will, uh, we will put the election aside for now for now, because we got plenty of other things to talk about today. Uh, as always, again, find us on the socials at award tour pod. You can also find myself at Brian Alvin life with a Y and you can find him at underscore. I am Unqua capital I capital a capital N in there as well my god give us five stars wherever you listen to your podcasts as well because we're about to get this thing coming in with the high heat so to say because (laughs) we're going to be talking baseball here and on one note congratulations to the los angeles dodgers after years of dominance in the national league west after close calls in the world series 
as well as a couple of close calls against teams who later were implicated of cheating via video monitoring. Uh, The Dodgers finally got their World Series, albeit in a COVID-shortened season. They defeated the Tampa Bay Rays four games to two with a comeback win in game six. And we are going to talk about the social side of things in just a second here, as it was determined uh, later in that game, Justin Turner, the third baseman for the Dodgers, one of the mainstays of this Dodgers team during their seven-year run. He had to be pulled from the game in the eighth inning due to a positive coronavirus test, later came back onto the field to celebrate with his teammates maskless after the Dodgers won the World Series. There's been a lot of controversy about that. We will get to that in just a second. But I also want to start this segment off actually talking a little bit of baseball. Because if you followed the game at all, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays had their best pitcher on the mound in Blake Snell. He was dominant into the sixth inning, had a low pitch count, had already K'd. I believe it was nine or 10 Dodgers through five and a third innings. And when he let up a single in the bottom of the sixth with the Rays winning one, nothing, the Rays took him out, went to matchups, which is something they have been known to do. They are probably the most analytically driven team in baseball. And that's been part of their success, uh, despite having low payrolls every single year. A lot of people have been heated about it. Where do you stand on the Rays sticking to what they do and taking out Blake Snell in that spot in the sixth inning? <laughs> that is how I felt. Now, let's, let's be real. I have reason not to like the Rays. They are in my favorite team's division. There is not a rivalry between these two teams because there needs to be extended history for there to be a rivalry between these two teams. And yet, I took great pleasure. Yes, great pleasure. For a couple of reasons. First of all, I want the underdog trope in sports without a salary cap to go bye-bye. Why? Because the owners of these teams have full control over how much money they want to put into their teams. The majority owner for the Tampa Bay Rays is worth over $700 million. The payroll is less than 5%. I will not sit here and proclaim to be an economist and understand how all that works, but you going to the World Series with a very small payroll is your choice. So for your players to act like you're some great team because you spent less money to get to the promised land, again, it's your choice. You treat your players like stocks. David Price traded at the prime of his career. Chris Archer, same thing. It's the same old, same old, same old. And it just happened to work for you. So that's my personal feeling just in general about the fact that who knows? You you actually need a budget to win a World Series because your former general manager now works for the Dodgers who literally said, here's your money, spend it wisely. And now he's got a ring because of it. Now putting all of that aside, 
it was so funny to me because even the Dodgers admitted afterward that that's what gave them the game. I am all about sticking to the plan, doing what got you here. But at this point, you're playing for your season. And he wasn't even up to 80 pitches thrown. You get two more innings out of him. Your bullpen that you've had to match up and has shown itself to be less than invincible only now has to get you six more outs if he can finish the sixth and go to the seventh. I understand that throughout the season, because he was coming back from surgery, they capped him at about 90 pitches, and they were very judicious about working his way back to full strength. But again, he was at less than 80 pitches. And you willingly gave your opponents a chance to come back and win the series, which they did. So it was to me, it was mind numbingly. That's the biggest example of being way too married to the numbers. I think there's a healthy marriage between analytics and the eye test, however you want to call it. But there is there's no excuse for that. I know the Rays want to back up their manager. I know people want to say, oh, it's what got them here. But I think on every level possible, it just wasn't wise. Just wasn't. So I agree in terms of if you were watching that game, it's hard to understand why you would take out Blake Snell in that situation. The only thing that I was able to look up that sort of made me say, okay, I guess I understand that a slight bit uh, was the fact that Mookie Betts in 23 career at bats against Snell was hitting over 300 uh, with three extra base hits. The thing about that is for Mookie Betts, that's just essentially who Mookie Betts is like that. That's just what Mookie Betts does. That's not saying that Mookie Betts feasts off of Blake Snell. That's saying that Mookie Betts is not controlled by Blake Snell. He is still a great MVP level caliber hitter against Blake Snell. I live with that when Blake Snell clearly has his best stuff. Thank you. And with Corey Seager right behind him for a lefty-lefty matchup. Um, The one thing I will say, I can appreciate people making the argument that it wasn't the right thing to do in that spot. I hate the classic like sports media way of anybody who's ever watched baseball would have never in their mind taken out Blake Snell in that spot and just like insulting the intelligence of the Rays organization uh, for the way they do things. Yeah, we're enamored to postseason starting pitching. That is when you have a great starting pitcher in the postseason you should let it go a little longer because that is your best pitcher and you'd rather die with your best arm than somebody who you've only deemed good enough to be a one-inning to two-inning reliever. But at the same exact time, don't come at me 
with the Rays exhibited, they have no idea what they're doing with their process when their process had them with the best record in the American League and their process has them competitive every single year despite their low payroll. And I, I'm with you on the whole payroll thing. I don't look at the Rays as some plucky underdog. I look at a team that intentionally handicaps itself and tells its analytics people be the best at your job in the league because we're just not willing to spend enough to make your jobs easier. Um, but I just, I, I found myself sort of obviously not agreeing with taking out Snell, but just finding some of the backlash towards Tampa's process that came out of uh, them losing that game to be bizarre because it didn't work out obviously for them in game six. But if Nick Anderson gets two outs to end the sixth inning, nobody's talking about they pulled Blake Snell too early the next day. And what they've done has worked for them so many times in so many other spots that it's just sort of like, you know. Okay. In theory, they pulled Blake Snell too early in game two and they won game two, you know, like nobody was crying about it then. Fair. Super fair. It almost makes me wonder, would we treat this World Series any differently if this was the Oakland A's? Because I recently rewatched Moneyball, and I never thought that Brad Pitt was ever Billy Bean, or that Jonah Hill was ever Paul De Podesta, or at least that's who his character was supposed to be. But I really was enamored with the fact that Billy Bean was one of the first to really stress, you know, things like on base percentages and things of that nature. At the end of that movie, he was offered the chance to be the GM of the Red Sox. And for the same reason I told you that Andrew Friedman went to the Dodgers where they gave him a real budget and said, go spend it judiciously. I saw Billy Bean. He's like, oh, he pretty much turned down the job. And I'm like, why the hell would you do that? But for a team that was on the precipice of this movement, I wonder if we would be, I wonder if, hmm, if the Oakland A's had pulled a similar move in the World Series with their current strategy, even though Billy Bean just left the organization to start his own new company, I wonder if we would approach it a little bit differently, if at all. I think that's a good question. I, I don't think so. I think at the end of the day, old time baseball tells you that starting pitching wins in the postseason. And when you have one of the best starters in the game rolling through one of the best lineups in baseball, you don't rush him out of the game as if he's some spot starter who you found five innings out of. Um and that's essentially what happened. It felt like Snell was rushed out of the game. The first second there was a sign of trouble and Mookie Betts came up for a righty-lefty matchup. Uh, and look, it could have worked out for Tampa. It didn't. Uh, but I just, I found the process to be bizarre. We do have to get into the other element of the World Series because it could not have been more fitting that the sport that started its season 
seemingly without plans to figure out how to keep COVID-19 away from the season, a season in which the Miami Marlins had to sit out a good two weeks or so before they could return to playing at the beginning of the year. The St. Louis Cardinals had to sit out a good two weeks before they could really get their season started due to COVID outbreaks within their teams. In the eighth inning of the World Series, Justin Turner, third baseman for the Dodgers, was out of nowhere pulled from the game, only to later be revealed it was because he had a positive coronavirus test where the positive result came to Major League Baseball in the middle of the game. He was forced out of the game. The Dodgers go on to win anyway, but then in the after the game celebration on the field, Justin Turner broke away from the isolation protocols that Major League Baseball had in place to rejoin his teammates on the field, maskless no less, and celebrate the World Series victory. What were your thoughts on this whole moment, what it meant for baseball and what it meant for the Dodgers and Justin Turner? I feel so bad for Justin Turner. I do. But not in the whole, oh, poor you, you can't celebrate with the team. But just like you are stuck with a really tough decision to make. At the pinnacle of your career. It's the thing that you literally work your whole life for. And yet you still made the wrong decision. And I think you know you made the wrong decision. But you were willing to live with it because you figure it's one night. Who cares? These are my guys. I don't know how I came up positive in the first place. That's why you had me take a second test. So there might be there's probably doubt all over his mind concerning the validity of the test to begin with because probably didn't feel anything. But he's an adult. People have their families on the field. My thinking is if at least you're going to go out there, which you shouldn't have. At least have the mask on at all times. He took a picture right next to his manager and his manager just beat cancer not too long ago. I didn't watch the rest of the postseason celebration, but pretty sure families had their kids out there. And we have not, I feel like sometimes we have not taken quite seriously the effect that COVID-19 can have even if you recover. Eduardo Rodriguez of the Red Sox may not pitch again after contracting COVID-19 and trying to work his way back from it. It really hurts that at the pinnacle of the biggest night of the year, that you were in a position where you had to choose between yourself and everybody else and still chose yourself and everybody enabled it. How could Major League Baseball issue a statement that night that said, oh, Turner refused to comply? You're telling me nobody was willing to say, hey, listen, this can't happen, this can't happen. Nobody wanted to be the bad guy. That's what really happened. 
Because you can say all you want. Oh, Turner broke away from protocol. Oh, there was a lot of support from Dodger personnel and players. You could have still been the bad guy and said, you can't. I know this is terrible. This sucks. You literally can't. You just tested positive. If you go out there for the picture, at least you got to be like off to the side. I know people want to hug you, but this is serious. And nobody took it serious. Baseball took it seriously only to prevent the league from losing more money by not having games played. But when it was all said and done, we saw the true character of Major League Baseball that night, which was we can't control it. We aren't playing any more games anyway. There's no quarantine to worry about. Okay, whatever. And we'll pawn it off on him later. And it really ticks me off. It really ticks me off. So I will get to the Justin Turner individual decisions on the back end of it because I want to start with MLB. For one, I think this will go down as one of the indelible moments of MLB's incompetence. When we look back in like the sports history book of the COVID-19 era, this moment will stick out to me much in the same way that the moment of St. John's and Creighton having their game on March 12th canceled at halftime. Because back on March 12th, as the rest of the sports world was starting to shut down, the NBA had already postponed its season the night before. College basketball conferences were left and right canceling their conference tournaments. And yet somehow at noon on March 12th, the Big East shows up and has St. John's and Creighton playing their Big East quarterfinal. And essentially what everyone else is saying at the time is what exactly does the Big East think they know that no one else knows if they're still going to go through with starting this game while everyone else around them is canceling. But there was a particular idiocy in my eyes to, well, you started the damn game now. What's the point of canceling at halftime? Because, like, the deed's already been done. So you might as well play the game because canceling at halftime almost looked worse. It almost pointed out even more, like, I'm sorry, you thought you could start this, but now you're 45 minutes later too worried to finish it? And that's sort of where I am with MLB. Justin Turner came back with an inconclusive test on Monday. You needed to have a second test's results either before the game started or you can't let him go on the field to start the game. And that would have been very harsh. And I understand the magnitude of that moment. I understand the implications. I understand how harsh that would have been. But once again... It looked worse to force him out of the game. In the eighth inning, no less. Like, once this man has played on the field for eight innings, and there's potentially one inning left in the World Series, what are you pulling him from the game for? 
Because at that point, you're not really keeping anyone safer, are you? Not really. Maybe by two to three percentage points. Like, you've already been derelict in your duty to keep everyone safe. So why are you... Why would you force him out of the game and make it what it becomes? Because if Justin Turner gets to finish that game and quickly, you know, has the we all throw our gloves moment as we get the final out of the World Series, maybe then people run up to him and say, hey, Justin, you tested positive. We need to pull you in the locker room. And at least by finishing the game, he got to be part of the celebration a moment where he can process what's going on and then not be on the field for the celebration. Because at least he was in the moment for when it actually got done. He got to, you know, feel it. I imagine part of why he was on the field the way he was was because he got pulled. A moment he was supposed to be on the field for recording the final out. He's now pacing in the locker room trying to process everything that's just happened. I thought that part of it was extremely unfair to Justin Turner. However, Justin Turner, you, you got to wear a mask if you're going to go back on the field. In MLB, you don't get to say, well, he just wouldn't listen to us. Thank you. Like, how much money did you threaten to fine him before he wouldn't listen to you? Did you threaten to suspend him for the year even? How, yeah, how much of a suspension did you offer before he didn't listen? Like, you have disciplinary power. And you've wielded it for the... You wielded it for less. You wielded it for less. You have disciplinary power and you'll suspend a guy 50 games if he, like, has a little bit of a drug in his system that he maybe didn't even necessarily take intentionally. Like, what what do you mean he wouldn't listen to us? He came <laughs> back on the field. As if you don't have incredibly dis an incredible amount of disciplinary authority. So yeah, MLB just looked like nonsense again. Uh, but it was very disappointing to see Justin Turner. I am not mad at him for going out and celebrating on the field, um, especially considering being on the field for the final outs was taken away from him. That's a moment that you've worked seven, your whole life for, but with this team, you've worked seven years for and been so close to and to finally taste it. I can't blame him for necessarily not being out on the field. But if you're going to go out on the field, take the chance to set an example. Put your mask on. Like, maybe don't kiss your wife. With cameras everywhere. Like, that's your personal business. And, like, if you have it, she probably has it already, too. But just, like, understand your role to set an example. Maybe save that for when you get back to the hotel. Wear a mask. Like, it, it's just, I don't want to grill him too much, but it's just this, this attitude that certain things are more important than the virus. 
is how we continue to find ourselves in the predicament that we are in. Our cases are surging nationwide because in many respects, people have found whatever reason they've needed to find to say that ignoring safety protocols is more important than defeating the virus. Whether it be, oh, my mental health is struggling. I need to see my friends. Or whether it is, we got to keep the economy going. We got to go to work. Like Our inability to put stopping the virus first is why we are in the situation we are in, where we are headed towards a very scary November, December, January in this country in terms of the health of Americans. Justin Turner had a chance to celebrate and at least in that celebration, make a statement that if you're going to try and live life and celebrate some moments as normal, at least take a step of safety by putting on a mask. And probably for as simple of a reason as he didn't want to be the only person wearing a mask in the World Series photo celebration. Oh, yeah. He didn't have one on. And I think that's something that he'll look back on one day and regret. But we'll see. I think the reason why I think you and I can be why we can be more sympathetic to Justin Turner because we understand like competition. You know, I think it's really, really easy to, from the outside looking in, flat out just totally tear him to shreds. And on a certain level, he should be because what he did was unsafe for everybody around him. But having competitive moments taken away from you for one reason or another, it really hurts and you really want to find a way to fix it or, or do something about it. Which is why I blame MLB almost more than him. Because oh, in essence, like th- this is your job. This is lit- This is literally your job to protect him from himself. That's why in youth sports, at the college level, coaches are expected, even if they never go through with it, hi, Greg Marshall, to establish a culture where you do the right thing. You set the examples, not because these young people don't have morals or guidance. It's because when you're in the heat of the competition, You make snap decisions, and they're not always the wisest. And even when that goes to adults, somebody has to be willing to be the bad guy. Major League Baseball did not want to be the bad guy on its biggest night of the year, and now they're going to be the bad guy for at least the next two months. At least. They didn't want to be the bad guy, but they were, too. Because they pulled him from the game. Like, that's that's the thing. It's the 
the mixed, like the fact that they weren't willing to be the bad guy once the season was over mm. shows you how much true care there is. Like, you know, MLB doesn't care about setting an example for how to operate with COVID. MLB cared about getting a World Series in preserving as much money as possible. And they pulled Justin Turner from that game because God forbid there be an outbreak on the field of the World Series and game seven has to wait like a week and a half to be played because that would have been the utmost of embarrassments. I honestly wish the Rays had won that game just so we could have seen what would have happened to the World Series. Would Game 7 have been delayed a couple days to test people? If, um, you know, had more positives come up, does Game 7 not happen for two weeks? Like, I would have just laughed in Major League Baseball's face at that. Um, so they got lucky the season finished. But the fact that they pulled him in the middle of that game, at the end of that game, essentially, but then had no disciplinary authority for him staying isolated in the post-game celebration. It tells you all you need to know about how they felt about this. Once the season was over, okay, go ahead, guys. Go get COVID. We don't care. Season's done. So that was a lot. Yes, it was indeed a lot, but you're still with us, so we'll take it. We will definitely, definitely take it. It's time for America's favorite game. Tell me something I don't know. And if that sounds foreign to you, look, I'm, I'm just taking the cue from our current commander in chief. Okay. Embellishment is the spice of life. If you were with us last week, we talked about the sanctity of food and how great it is to have something that's really only native to you or your area and have it follow you wherever you go. But this time we're going to take it way closer to home. And when I say way closer to home, I mean, Brian, tell me when you go home, the one food that makes you go, okay, I had the worst day in the world and now everything is all right again. So I'm going to cheat on this. Oh, man. And I'm going to do two because there's one holiday exclusive. And then there's one just could be any other time of the year. I'll allow it. The holiday exclusive is homemade latkes with homemade applesauce. Okay. Like I said. Around the holidays. That is. uh, I mean, I feel like. Latkes are something that people feel like they have had, but you haven't really had them until you've been to like your Jewish friend's house around the holidays. Because whatever you're finding in whatever market or store bought or whatever it may be, it's just not the same. Like the, the latkes have to go through the Cuisinart. They have to be seasoned a certain way. They have to be fried a certain way for them to taste like home. And throw it with some homemade applesauce and 
That's a nice Hanukkah right there. But the other dish that makes me just quintessentially feel like I am eating my mother's cooking. She does a Tuscan chicken stew. Okay, that sounds really good. Which I have tried to replicate two to three times. And I've just never come close. I don't know why. It doesn't seem like it's that hard to follow the recipe. I don't think she has some magical crock pot that (laughs) works differently than the one I've got. But there's just something about it that every now and then I'll pop home and that'll be supper. And it's just like I'm home right now. It's the sun-dried tomatoes and the broth and the seasoning and the chicken's just so moist. And it's just... Makes me think of just like sitting at home in a sweatshirt. (laughs) A Yukon sweatshirt, of course. Of course. Jonathan the Husky's face right on the front of it. The dog has a nick. I feel like I should have known that. You got to know about Jonathan the Husky. Should have known that. And just just sitting down to some chicken, some Tuscan chicken stew, going back for seconds, and then just laying on the couch. That actually sounds really good. Okay, my turn. Um, yeah, hit me with yours. So, I'm going to do such a bad job at describing it. But it's a dish that's known as um, fufu and soup. And my two favorite, since we're cheating, my two favorite leaves are egusi and okazi. Basically, it's a soup that you throw... Sometimes chicken, my favorite's beef, uh, sometimes even seafood. And it's pretty much those greens combined with some oil, some water. And I told you, I'm not even describing it right because I think I tried to watch my mom cook it one time. And I just got so impatient and so hungry, I left the room. I'm like, just call me, just, just call me when it's done. You're not a man of the process. You're a man of the results. Thank you. That's the first time someone's actually broken it down in a way that actually makes me sound like less of a jerk. But it's so spicy or can be made so spicy that your nose will run. And it's just so amazing. I traditionally like to eat it with a fork. You're supposed to eat it with your hands. But... I'm weird. Soup with your hands. Well, let me explain. So the fufu is usually made out of a sort of grain. So that I can explain a little bit easier. You basically boil the water and you mix in the grain so that it's instead of it being like loose, like porridge, it becomes a little bit harder. And then you knead it into separate. You knead it into like a ball or something like that. And you'd put it on a plate and you'd have the soup on the other side. Some people use their hands to take the fufu and go into the soup. I prefer to use a fork. But man, if I ever, whenever I come home and I know okazi soup or egusi is out there, I'm weird. I clear my schedule. If however you can clear your schedule when you get home and I just go to town. 
I'm really terrible when it comes to the meat, though, because I really like protein. So I'm the guy that will go right into the big pot and scoop up and make sure I take as much meat with every scoop as possible. You're a bottom dweller of, of that pot. Of course. That's where all the good stuff is. <laughs> and for any Nigerians who listen to this show and fry me for my descriptions, I deserve it. And I'll apologize for it when I get it right. I mean, what what is the spice profile that we're talking about here? Because Oh, you're going to have to define spice profile. Because the, the, you're talking about hot enough to make your nose run. But are we talking like hot... In the cayenne pepper sort of form of hot, or are we talking hot in terms of some spice I've never heard of? What what is uh more like more like cayenne pepper? Okay, and it's not, and sometimes people won't put too much. I was just kind of exaggerating that one. Like I said, embellishment, spice of life, word to the commander in chief. Um, <laughs> but it can really be spicy. And I enjoy and I enjoy it when it's spicy because I'll either have a glass of juice or something else that'll ease it off. I find it interesting that both of us, in a sense, chose soup based dishes. True. There's just something about a broth dish that feels like home. That's true. But even even this, it's hard to explain because it's not really light. It's actually really, really heavy. Like when you like the whole point of having the fufu go into the soup is that the soup, it doesn't like sort of go on the go on the fufu and like just drop into the bowl. Like the fufu takes a big chunk of, of the greens and stuff like that with it. So even if you if you were to have soup by itself, if you were to have the soup by itself, you couldn't just like pick up the bowl and slurp it. You would need a spoon or a fork to make your way through it. So is the fufu like doing absorption or is it doing or is the actual texture of whatever is in the pot more of like a thicker congealed consistency i don't know i'm trying to really get into this here i'm gonna just send you a picture because (laughs) i'm not going to describe it right and it's gonna make me mad pictures are welcome oh i'm looking at pictures and i I might have to make the drive home. I might really have to make the drive home. The drive home. Um, there's also something called pounded yam that's also able to be used. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just gonna. Oh, Mom, if you hear this, I might, I might be home in the next couple hours. <laughs> this is this is. Oh man, just looking at it. Just looking at it. All right. So here you go. Yeah, can send me this in this chat here. Absolutely. So you are you're now listening to two grown men 
react <laughs> to pictures of food. That's where this podcast has has now gone. They like it. Ooh, that looks good. Exactly. Aha, and they've and they've got a recipe, so it that will explain it way better than I did. Way way better than I did. Oh, and this has bitter leaf in it too. I'll tell you what. I have only had one soup away from my mother's that is any good. Well, not any good. Let me, let me not be disrespectful, but I ha- I'm literally trying to remember the name of the restaurant because it was in Boston. I went with I went with one of my very close friends. And the name escapes me, so I'm looking it up. So while you continue to salivate over that recipe, the Suya joint. Oh man. If you're up in Boston, I, I don't I hope they're still I honestly hope they're still open. I, I I oh man, I didn't even think about it. Damn you coronavirus. Damn you coronavirus. I hope you did not take this fantastic restaurant away from us. I really hope not. But yeah, go check them out because so good. Moral of the story, folks, there is nothing better than home cooking. So hit us up. Let us know. Drop us a voice message on Anchor. Tweet at us. Let us know what uh, what is the food that reminds you of home. And we can build a nice little cultural pot of some of the best home meals around. And unlike me, If you can't describe it, please include a reference. Please. With Major League Baseball being the main topic of our show this week, we went pretty deep into it. We're going to do something we only do a few times, which is transition straight from Tell Me Something I Don't Know to our other game, our namesake, the award portion of our show. As always, if you have followed us, we give out awards that we make up to people who have done something in the world in the previous week. That's about all the description I've got for you. So how about we just jump into them? Ah, that's probably a good idea. Um, it's funny because right before we started this session, I wanted to give an award for everyone who was making the argument that because the NBA chose to focus on social justice, that their ratings were low. And I realized that I didn't have. I didn't have the words. I didn't have the parallel to make that happen. So I would prefer to call you stupid instead. And please understand that I mean stupid in the nicest way I possibly can, because if I wanted to be mean, I wouldn't use the word stupid. When all of sports is condensed, When bars and restaurants where most people watch games aren't really 
going to help your viewership, you can expect that the numbers will look a little bit different. You may think, well, everybody's home, everybody's watching TV. This is a whole different world and a whole different ballgame. Now, here's what's interesting. The NBA Finals at the time, once they finished with the Lakers winning the championship, were projected to have the lowest viewership. And the talking point for the next three to four days was that the NBA made a mistake that they're going to pay for for making all this social justice stuff a part of their broadcasts and things of that nature to a point where an agent according in an article I read with the athletic where 20 agents weighed in on the season. And of course they were anonymous. One agent actually opened his mouth to say that the NBA is going to be paying for this for a long time because it was really stupid. And these people don't know what they're signing up for with black lives matter. Matter of fact, I'm going to pull up the exact quote just to make sure that we understand each other. And this should further show everyone, by the way, that proximity to majorly black and brown players does not make you any less ignorant or at worst a racist. And this agent, who of course will remain anonymous, thanks to Ben Standig and Mike Vorkanov for this write-up on The Athletic. And here's what this agent said. They initially did a great job by putting the bubble together and they completely shit the bed with all this nonsense. They really hurt the business. All of this Black Lives Matter stuff, I think that the players are being manipulated into something that they don't really understand and I think that it's a horrible look for the league and they need to be very clear about the organization, what they stand for. If that's what the NBA wants to align with, they're really hurting themselves. They're not helping the players They're hurting the sport. When the ratings are down 30%, who are you helping? And that is the crux to my entire argument. Ratings are down because you don't watch the NBA in October or even late September. And anyone who was going to be pissed off about the players speaking their minds wasn't really trying to watch anyway. We've talked about this on this very program. And it bothers me that an agent who is financially responsible for these majority black and brown players and gets to speak on anonymous terms can fix his face to say that all the players don't really understand what they're what what they're what they're aligning themselves with. That's spoken like somebody who likes the proximity to blackness and absolutely takes no ownership in anything else around it. So to that guy, a very hearty fuck you. And I don't need an award for that. So we've had that discussion and yeah, I... I don't even want to uh, 
I don't need to go into the full argument as to why saying that the ratings were down purely because of social politics is beyond silly. I don't have the exact tweet that got me to laugh originally, uh, but the September ratings for the Kentucky Derby were way down from what they would normally be in their May spot as well. And there have been a long list of tweets along the lines of damn horses getting all political and plunging the Kentucky Derby ratings. Why can't the horses just stick to running? (laughs) And yeah, it's the desire for some people to want to blame and root for the NBA to have bad ratings because they are promoting social justice on the airwaves. It's like, you're just, you're telling on yourself. Why even bother pretend that like you are have any point about, well, people just want to be able to watch their sports free of politics. We know what you're truly saying when you say that you're just saying you don't care. So, and you don't want to be bothered. Also, so that's really all there is to that. Also, the American anthem, national anthem, rather, unlike pretty much every other country in the world, it's played before every game. And you don't want politics in your sports. Oh, and I forgot to make my initial point, which was that baseball joined the fray in the fact that this Dodgers Rays World Series, an all-timer, lowest rated postseason, rather lowest rated World Series in viewership ever. Yeah, I think we need to give more credit to the idea that sports in bubbles might just be less desirable to watch for some people. Right. Like, there, the fact that we're trying to act like there's some larger subset of people that are unable to watch a game because it says Black Lives Matter on the court or vote on somebody's jersey, then there might be a subset of people who don't want to watch a game because there's fake crowd noise or no crowd noise and no atmosphere that we grew up used to watching with sports. It's like, are are you kidding me? We're like going to blame one thing and not blame the other. That seems bizarre to me, but my award of the week is also along the political, uh, political lines because you might remember that during the first presidential debate, the one that was an absolute (laughs) show (laughs) that uh, commander in chief number 45 felt like he needed to use some of his podium time of interrupting to remind the people of Ohio and Michigan and Wisconsin that he and he alone brought Big Ten football back. I brought up Wisconsin. (laughs) I know where you're going. My guy. Because after an impressive opening week win for the Badgers, one in which they looked like a potential college football playoff contender because they looked like maybe they finally found a quarterback who can throw the ball. They beat Illinois 45 to seven behind the arm of Graham Mertz through for five touchdowns on 20 of 21 passing 250 yards. One problem though, 
It only took one week of the season, potentially only one opening night celebration for Mertz, his backup quarterback, head coach Paul Christ, and several other teammates to contract COVID-19. And now Wisconsin's game this weekend against Nebraska has been canceled. Who is to say if next week's game against Purdue could end up uh, suffering the same fate? And well, at that point, Wisconsin will have missed two games of an eight-game season with no time slated in by the Big Ten's late restart for games to be made up, in which case you would have to assume even if the Badgers were to go undefeated, there would be no college football playoff in the cards. So uh, to Donald Trump, you ever heard of Leon Let Donald? <laughs> you ever heard of celebrating before you get into the end zone the way Leon Let did in whatever Super Bowl it was they were playing against the Buffalo Bills when Dan Beebe chased him down from behind? And denied him a big man touchdown. Well, Donald, you win the Leon Let Award of the Week <laughs> for celebrating Big Ten football coming back a little bit too early. Because just like you forgot with the whole country, you also forgot with your football. In order to celebrate bringing things back, you have to make sure they're safe first. And you didn't do that this time. Now Wisconsin's football season is probably coming to a premature end competitively. And I'm not sure it's so coincidental that with Wisconsin surging not only football team illnesses, but statewide illnesses, that you're 17 points down in the polls in Wisconsin. Maybe you should have worried a little bit less about Big Ten football worried a little bit more about stopping the coronavirus. <laughs> and I find it deliciously ironic that a president who has claimed to do more for black people than any other president in American history manages to fumble the bag when it comes to sports that have predominantly black and brown athletes. I mean, he might not be wrong. He's probably gotten more African-American sick than any president <laughs> in American history, right? Like he's probably done more to them. The stress is than any other president. High. Absolutely. I mean, uh, since a certain, I mean, I get George Washington had slaves. Thomas Jefferson had slaves. So I guess there are a couple who did more to black people than Donald Trump. But. And and Abraham Lincoln was still a racist. So yeah, no joy in Mudville for that one. <laughs> no joy in Mudville. Nevertheless, we're done here. We've weighed in, and you've stuck around. Thank you very, very, very much. As Brian said at the top of the show, we're all over the socials. Award tour pod, wherever you find us. Yours truly underscore I-A-M-N-K-W-A. Brian is Brian Albin Life. One Y, one L. And the Y is where Brian's supposed to be, not life. Any final words before we get out of here and um, keep our fingers crossed or whatever? Because we both have performed our civic duty, and if you've been paying attention to the show, I can tell you who we did not vote for. I mean, I just gotta know what is your what is your election night plan? I'm gonna drown myself in seafood and an unmentionable, unmentionable amount of redacted. 
people don't yeah, get to I know think, what my favorite elixir is yet. I think we're in a similar spot. I'm either going to like spend the whole day making tacos or just get a bunch of pizzas. We are going to be eating our feelings all day in this house. Yes. And we bought a keg so that we either have plenty of fluid to celebrate with or plenty to go into a alcoholic state of depression with one or the other but I certainly am praying for an election to be called before bedtime Tuesday night <laughs> and I sure as hell sure as hell hope that we're in the type of celebrating mood to go run down to the White House and make some noise telling somebody to pack their bags and if there is going to be such a rally, please, everybody, wear a mask. And on that note, bye, y'all.